0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome in to the LakersNation.com podcast. It's game day. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not, but it is game day. Lakers versus Blazers. Oh, boy. They'd better win this one. We've got an injury report to get into today. We also need to talk a little bit about what happened last game against the Nets. No, it will not be a fun conversation, but we do need to get into it. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk uh, a little bit about the trade market as well. So lots of things to talk about today on a special Sunday episode of the podcast. So welcome in. Thank you, everybody who's joining. Make sure that you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Find it, youtube.com slash Nation. We're going to keep you up to date on all of the latest breaking trade news, including everything that we're hearing out there right now. We're going to talk about some of that today. By the way, I'm Trevor Lane. You can find me over on X at Trevor underscore Lane. Today, joining me is Sean Davis. Uh, you can find him at Sean underscore D-A-V-I. Uh, Sean, I guess let's start out with this. Have you recovered from the atrocity, from the horrible tragedy, that we witnessed in the Lakers' last game against the Brooklyn Nets.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, people aren't, aren't going to hear this, but I, I recover fairly quickly, unless like it's a really, really annoying loss. There's only a, I could probably count on maybe like one hand how many losses that I just woke up the next day still pissed off about. Boston last year uh, sure. is, is one of them, for example. Uh, Dallas this year. There's a few, maybe two hands, maybe one's a little bit less, um, but. Yeah, I mean, it was just a super frustrating loss. And um, I mean, the best way I can kind of describe this team right now, is just like they just have no sense of urgency about anything. And that's probably like the biggest frustration point for me right now.
1: Well, that is that is certainly troubling for me as well. Because, Sean, I can tell you this. I can look at the schedule just as well as they can look at the schedule. We all can see what's coming in March and April. We all know how important. It is it is brutal. But we all know how important it is that they stockpile wins right now. Winter is coming. Figuratively. It's already here. Literally. But figuratively. Winter is coming in terms of the schedule. You'd better stock up on food right now. And the Lakers are not doing that. They're not stocking up on the wins right now that they need to. And when times get lean in March and April, when you going through top-tier team after top-tier team after top-tier team and wins are hard to come by, you're going to be hurting. And that's what I'm concerned about with this team. That's why they have to have that urgency right now. And that worries me because, again, if I can look ahead a couple of months on the schedule, they sure can too. Yeah.
2: Oh, man. I'm not looking forward to that month tomorrow. Although, like, I'm not going to lie. I have way more confidence in this team in a game against a team like a Dallas.
1: They're going to step up.
2: Than a, in a game like a Portland tonight. And that's so terrible. But I just feel like, like I mean, who do you play after Portland? You play, um, is that when the road trip starts? I know you have, you have a couple more
1: games. Uh, yeah, I'll look it up here.
2: You got. I am so more confident in your ability to beat the Clippers than I am in your ability to like beat the Bulls. The game after that, right? It's not because the Bulls are good. Wrong obviously, with that.
1: there's Easy something wrong. It goes, it goes. Portland, Clippers, Bulls, and then you start your road trip on January 27th. You go to Golden State, but there's something wrong about that. That you're more confident that they're going to beat the Clippers, who have been on a tear, than they're going to beat the Chicago Bulls who are just kind of like a middling team in the East right now.
2: Yeah. Like, like that is not a, uh, a good spot to be in. As a fan because like, you're, you're more likely to lose the game against the Clippers, but yeah, man, like, Mm -hmm. like this should be a prime opportunity really all the way up until like that March schedule does start. Like this is a prime opportunity to get some wins. Like there's not a bunch of games from now till February 29th, which is Washington. That's the last game before your gauntlet of the like back, you know, the the back nine of your season start. There's very few games where I'm like, okay, yep, they'll lose. But this team, man, just really, really frustrating.
1: Got to fatten up on wins right now, and they're not doing it. Yeah. You can't drop a game to the Brooklyn Nets, especially given what they already did. They already dug themselves a hole in the month of December and a decent chunk of January. The post-in-season tournament run here, uh, it's been rough. And yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried. Um, now, heading into the trade deadline, of course, we saw this team last year was in a tough spot. Heading into the trade deadline, they made a few moves and they make a, a big run. That's certainly possible. I wouldn't say that's a, a likely scenario. I would. I would. I think there's something problematic with year in and year out, um, waiting to be saved at the trade deadline and hoping you can go on some crazy run where you were. I want to say they had either the first or second best record in the West post yeah. uh, post trade deadline. It's so not
2: sustainable.
1: No, it's not. So that's certainly a concern. This team, they've got to figure it out. They've got to get things sorted. They got to get it sorted quickly. Uh, tonight, they do have. Uh, the Blazers, which, I mean, Sean, if you don't beat the Blazers, I don't, I don't know what to say. If you don't beat the beat the Blazers, it would that would be catastrophic to not beat the Blazers tonight. Uh, but the injury report, oh boy, Cam Reddish, surprise, he's back. Cam Reddish is back, which is great. Happy that Cam's healthy, but Anthony Davis. Achilles tendinopathy, now questionable. He's been probable on most of the injury reports. LeBron, questionable. Torian Prince now, left to- left knee soreness, questionable. Now, Sean, we all saw it. Anthony Davis, Jared Vanderbilt, D'Angelo Russell. They went up to San Francisco for the 49ers versus Packers game. And I know Anthony Davis is probably a little bit upset that his Packers lost. But if AD doesn't play against the Blazers, people were already, Lakers fans were already a little frustrated that he went to that upset. game. There. We're already upset, which I don't think is reasonable. Like, if you have access to...
2: To be on a, the field.
1: To be on the field, I'm sure. We're I'm up. sure they're, These guys are not flying coach there. Let's put it that way. Yeah. They're not flying like these. You have the ability to go do that, and you're talking about a short flight up to San Francisco from L.A.? I don't fault those guys for going there and doing that. Now, if AD doesn't play against the Blazers tonight, that's going to look bad. If he doesn't play, that will look bad.
2: It'll look bad, like you said, simply because of the fact that people are already mad about him going. Whereas like, bro, like he's, he is still a human being, right? And again, like you said, like, I don't think anybody is passing up on a probably first class flight or no, not for yeah, a, he's, he's oh, a PJ to San Francisco to be on the sideline for a playoff game for your favorite team. Nobody in their right mind is passing up on the opportunity.
1: Well, I mean, beyond people will say, well, but it's your job. You're making $40 million. You have to be here for the Lakers and all it's that a, kind of stuff. I mean, I get that. That's all accurate. I'm just saying, I don't think. That spending the evening up in San Francisco and then flying back, I, I would have to imagine that's such a short flight. And I, I'm the one that's always saying that travel has this negative impact on your body and everything. But it's such a short flight, and you're flying on you know you're flying on a private jet. I, I'd have to, he's going to be fine. I don't think this is going to do anything to change yeah. his status for for tonight's game.
2: Yeah, I was about to say like if if Anthony Davis plays or doesn't play him going to watch the San Francisco 49ers game has little to no impact on whether or not he's going to play or not play.
1: It's just a bad look if he doesn't wind up playing and people are going to be upset. And I think that the, the optics of it are not great if he's there at that game and then he's unable to play against the blazers. It doesn't look great, but if he plays then I think it's fine. I don't really have a, an issue with it so hopefully he's a go but the other one and look I, I'm skipping LeBron because he's listed as questionable every single game uh, Torian Prince this is a new thing left knee soreness and
2: are we just like doing something to our rotation players knees like what is going on here <laughs>
1: right Cam Reddish Torian Prince Gabe Vincent has missed like the entire season with knee soreness Um, obviously he had knee surgery but still yeah What what is happening here What's happening to uh, our knees uh, to, to the knees of the Lakers players? Yeah. Like a, there's like a, I don't know, Tanya Harding thing going on here or something like that. Is that, what's, oh. is that what's happening to their knees? It's crazy. But Sean here, I'm worried. Cause I, I'm, I see Torian Prince is questionable and cam reddish is probable. Yeah. And we've been saying for a while, that it needs to be Jared Vanderbilt in the starting lineup. And my fear is that Darwin is going to say Torian is not available to play, and Cam Reddish goes back into the starting lineup.
2: I've had this take recently, but I don't think Cam should be a rotation player when we're like when we're healthy.
1: Okay. Why?
2: I'm just I think I think you have. 10 dudes, right? So I think Delo. I mean, let, let's see if you're fully healthy. So you let, just count the regular starting five as is right mm-hmm. now, even though we disagree with it. Sure. I'm not even going to include Gabe, right? Then off the bench, Vando, Christian Wood, Rui. I just think Max is a better player and a better fit than what Cam Rush mm-hmm. is giving you right now. Max is shooting 44%, I want to say, on spot-up, catch threes this season for the Lakers, which is, Awesome and and something that this Lakers offense has consistently needed is a guy that is not gonna do anything else but hit spot up threes and cut to the basket, which mm-hmm. he's legitimately been one of your better dudes at doing both of those things and being a guard POA guy that can navigate screens, especially if you still want to freaking run drop coverage, even though I it's agonizing to my brain that you keep doing it.
1: Oh my gosh, Sean, did you did you see the the quote from Lonnie Walker? No,
2: I did not. What oh. was
1: it? After the game, that- after the loss to the Nets, Lonnie, Lonnie, I need to find it because Lonnie specifically said, like when you're running drop coverage against a, a three level score, like, like Cam Thomas, he's going to get going he, or He's going to start lighting you up or something like that. Um, I need to find that quote. Cause it's, yeah, Oh my gosh! I mean, and this is, this is the, this is and your opponent like, that's you saying first, that recognizes, hey, drop coverage, we're gonna light that up, and that's I mean, exactly that's what happened.
2: And then like there, there's a clip that you put out there, or that you quote tweeted, and uh, another Lakers content creator put out there as well. Uh-huh. That I think it's kind of like I, I, I responded, to. I kind of think it's kind of get blown out of proportion a little bit. But even like the my response to it you put yourself in a bad spot there. So, like, your take was, like, oh, my God, why are we helping, you know, one pass away when it's AD and a drop, right? You know the clip I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yep. Okay. So, you're, like, why the hell are we helping one pass away? And I'm, like, my response was, well, technically, like, this is kind of more common, right? Where one pass away, he's at the elbow, it's an open drive, AD was right. like, a massive drop. Like, he was the nowhere near the uh, the big. So, I'm, like, That kind of makes sense, but you're putting yourself in such a bind still, even though you're doing still technically did the right thing there. You're putting yourself such a bind because it's by playing drop and playing it so freaking far back. It's wide open rim attempt or wide open mid-range jumper. Even I think it was Mikael Bridges in the ball screen. I have to go back and rewatch it, but it's either Mikael Bridges wide open or it's one pass away. Three to a like 40% (laughs) career shooter. And you just pray you get a contest and the Lakers were not able to get there in time. But, um, yeah, like this team is, hasn't been at its best when they've played drop. They've been a way better switching and hedging team. But like you're going to give up an advantage. You're going to uh, a numbers advantage uh, because it's going to be two on the ball. But so you're going to give up an open three on the backside. But this team isn't they don't have the screen navigators to run drop were last nice. year's team probably good like Dennis is an elite screen navigator, like legitimately an elite. Austin was a way better screen navigator last year, I thought. Um and if you want to play drop, I think Max gives you the app opportunity to do it from like a guard POA type role, mm-hmm. um coming off the bench. Um so that, that that's a really weird way to loop in like the Lakers defense being terrible in Twitter clips to back to like, I don't think cameras should be in the rotation. Um, Max just found the numbers 46% on spot up threes, 59.1% on spot up twos this season.
1: Yeah. His 34% three point shooting uh, for on the season. It's a little bit of a mirage because like you said, those, I mean, he's shooting that number, but if you can just limit him to those spot-up situations, he is significantly better. Here,
2: and really quick to go on to that, Max Christie, if you look at transition threes, pick-and-roll threes, and isolation threes, he has only made one three out of 17 to 16 attempts. So he's one that, for 16 that's a dang near any other situation.
1: Um. So Cam Reddish, when we talk about, about drop, here's, uh, here's exactly what Lonnie Walker said. I uh, talked about Cam Thomas's scoring, said it was very contagious. He said, I called it before we played the game. When you play a drop against a three-level scorer like him, the game gets really easy, especially once you get going. It was only a matter of time uh, before he got hot. So before the game, like I've been saying for a while now, the cat's out of the bag. Teams have figured out what to do to the Lakers' defense, and they're going to tear it to shreds. They're going to get all these threes up. Um, they know how to exploit the Lakers defense. Teams are planning for the Lakers. They see the weak points. This isn't just a coincidence that we're seeing every team kind of do the same things to generate open looks against the Lakers and that opponents know before the game, hey, you're going to have a big scoring night tonight. That's that's not great. That's not great. Um, looping all of that into this whole Cam Reddish discussion, I think part of the reason why, and I agree with you, I think that Cam probably shouldn't be a major part of the rotation. I think he will be But part of the issue with this Lakers team is there's a lot of skill set duplication. We can even look at Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell to a degree have skill set duplication in terms of their strengths and their weaknesses. But a major duplication is Cam Reddish and Jared Vanderbilt. And I don't think you can play them at the same time. Both of them do some good things on the defensive end of the floor. Neither one of them is a great three-point shooter. I know uh, Vando got going last game, but you need a little bit more of a diverse skill set on the uh, on the floor and if you have Cam Reddish out there and Vando is part of your as part of your rotation that's pretty challenging whereas Max Christie is a very different player is a good defensive player but gives you something very different on the offensive floor compared to both guys so plugging him in in the place of Cam I think it makes sense conceptually now that's not a knock on Cam I think for a veteran minimum contract I think he's done a good job for the Lakers this year at what he's done but Jared Vanderbilt's back. I don't think you need Cam to do that stuff as much anymore now that Vando is back and playing at closer to
2: 100%. Yeah, I agree.
1: Okay, so that's the fear anyway. It's that Torrey Prince will not play and Cam Reddish will slide back into the starting lineup instead of Jared Vanderbilt. We'll see what happens there. Um, the trade market, of course, that's coming up. You know, there's a lot of names out there. I, I heard today Spencer Dinwiddie for the Lakers is a real possibility. Ew, right? I don't, I don't really understand that. Um, particularly because if the Lakers are going to make any kind of a big move, it's going to be D'Lo and or Rui going out. I still think D'Lo is the most likely guy to be traded, by far. But I would rather have D'Lo than Spencer Dinwiddie. However, Dinwiddie is a twenty point four million dollar expiring contract. He doesn't have a player option this summer. Could you see the Lakers actually swapping those two just to eliminate the player option? Um,
2: if if you, I think Matt Peralta put this out there on Twitter. If you can get like DFS in the deal, then I'm not just swapping Dila for Spencer, didn't we? That that's nasty to me.
1: Agreed. I would not do that. No way. Yeah, no thanks. But if it's if, okay, if it is Dorian Finney Smith. So let's say, and Dorian Finney Smith on the season, uh, he is making 14 million, 13.9 million dollars. So you add okay. up him and Dinwiddie, you're at about 34, yeah, just a little bit over 34 million dollars. So then we're talking D Lo at 17. Would the Nets be willing to do a three for 2 D'Lo at 17, Gabe at 10 and a half. I'm sure they don't want to take on that salary and then throw in a Jackson Hayes or something like that just to increase the amount of outgoing uh, salary uh, if they would uh, even take him on for Dinwiddie and DFS. I don't know that the Nets would do that. They'd probably want some type of draft capital. <laughs> Who knows what Gabe Vincent's going to be?
2: A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Right. Um. I don't know. I'm
1: don't trying know. to. I'm trying to think I, of ways th- that it would make sense to get Dinwiddie, and, and it, it's tough to come up with it.
2: Yeah, I mean, like and any guard deal, any deal for a guard in general is just so weird, right? Um,
0: unless it's I'm Murray. almost at
2: the point now. Unless it's Rui, yeah, and that's what I was gonna nope. say.
1: I'm no, almost at
2: the point where, oh, uh, Murray, sorry, 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 yeah. Um, but I, I was gonna bring up Rui, so I thought you were throwing nope. a lob, but <laughs> I think. I think you might have to trade Rui only for two reasons. These are the only two reasons why I'm saying okay. trade Rui. Nothing against him, the player. One, I don't think you can really play him and Braun together a ton, right? Sure. Um, I, I think Rui is at his best when he's in lineups next to AD, next like Christian What I think those are the minutes where Rui is at his most optimal because I feel like when Bron's on the floor, Rui's, and this is not gets anybody, but Rui's relegated to a spot-up role. Mm-hmm. offensively and even when Rui's playing well in that role teams are still not really going to guard him a ton so it's like what what he does well to kind of turns into a negative for you because all attention on Braun is stop a lebron drive to the rim and so we're just not going to guard you so if you have a night like last night against brooklyn which i think is an outlier but if you have a night like that where you just can't hit anything you're being turned into a a, a poor offensive player right so i just don't sure. think you could really play him next to uh next to LeBron a ton. And then secondly, opportunity. I'm paying you $17 million and our head coach is going to use you properly. I might as well just get, turn that salary into a player that we're actually going to use that can play next to LeBron consistently. I think that's probably the better way to to, to phrase the uh, LeBron and Rui thing. Um, I like Rui a ton. I hope we're, I really do hope that we're able to make this thing work. But I'm, I think I'm a lot less hesitant to make a move on Rui, that I think a lot of the fan base is personally.
1: So, if you were able to turn Rui into Dorian Finney-Smith, you're doing yes. that. Okay.
2: Yeah. Now it still has to make sense, right? But like, sure. For the most part, I think I'm doing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're getting, in theory, you're getting a, a better three point shooter. You're getting a guy who's more of a a, a true defensive player, certainly than Rui. Not, I, I don't think Rui I mean, is a guy where. What's that?
2: I think, excuse me, I think Rui's improved on that end too.
1: Oh yeah, I think he's been fine. But Dorian Finney-Smith, look, Rui, if you were to lose LeBron at some point, if LeBron were to go out for say two weeks, I would much rather have Rui than Dorian Finney-Smith. But Dorian Finney-Smith shooting 39% from three this season, only averaging 9.2 points. So it's not like he's lighting it up there, but 4.8 rebounds playing 28 minutes a night. Done, he's pretty versatile defensively. Again,
2: game against us. He only had three points, but I thought he had a really, really good game.
1: The thirty-nine percent from deep as well. Uh, career thirty-six percent three-point shooter. So you know what would happen as soon as he puts on that Lakers jersey. But, um, <laughs> but he's a guy that I think is just he's a, a player that can fit on any team. Really, you can fit him in anywhere. So I'm not necessarily opposed to that. If it's Delo and Rui no. for Dinwiddie and DFS, though. and again, I don't I, we'd have to make the math all work on that. but I' have a hard time seeing the Dinwiddie thing
2: yeah I, i'm 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 coming off as pretty pro trade Rui, but I'm not doing that deal as much as I've won DFS it, I only, think,
1: like yeah. if I had to flip Rui for Dinwiddie, like let's say it's Rui in a contract to make the money work for Dinwiddie or something. Like you're clearing long term salary, but the only way I'm doing that is if I know Delo is going out in another trade and yeah. I'm not getting back a point guard in that trade. Yeah, like that's that's where I do that.
2: <laughs> what is that? Do? I don't know. That's all I'm saying. Like the hypotheticals give me the February 8th already. <laughs> Come on.
1: This is the fun part, man. This is the fun part, getting into being able to get through all of this stuff and figure out what all the different possibilities are hearing about all the different rumors, all the different discussions that are being had, because the reality is that the next few weeks are going to set the course for the future of this team. Right. And, and, And it'll, and that process will continue of course this summer, but the moves they make or don't make will make a major impact on what happens for the team, obviously the rest of the way and this summer as well. So I know, I, I always love this time of year because I think it's a it's fun getting through all the different trade possibilities and, and all of that. Um, I'll say this, though. The the worst part is when you go through all this and then your team doesn't make a move. And I say all the time <laughs> that uh, there is that no trade is better than a bad trade. And that's something we have to remember. But it there's still a, a feeling that you're kind of let down when your team does not make a move at the trade deadline.
2: You remember the reaction, uh, the Westbrook year, the reaction that year when we didn't make a trade.
1: Oh yeah, the oh first my year. gosh, the first oh, year, yeah, were
2: they were not happy.
1: No, nope, not happy at all, and understandably so. Um, last thing I've got for you, for you, Sean, before we get into our, our mailbag, which, by the way, I know we haven't spent a lot of time previewing Lakers versus Blazers. Just win, win the damn game. Win the just, game. Just win the. I mean,
2: I don't care how.
1: Yeah, throw out the X's and O's and stuff like that. You have to beat the Blazers. You have to. This is a must-win. This is a must-win must game. You Your season
2: is effectively over. You will lose this game. Maybe yeah. that's, like, overreactionary, but, like, I'm going you, there.
1: You, <laughs> you lose to. this game. You can't lose this game. You can't lose that game. Um, do, do I
2: get, do, is it fair that I get, like, a week off if we lose to Portland? I think that's fair. That so, you a, get a Mental off? health. Mental health. Recovery. Come back sharp, ready to go.
1: <laughs> I think uh, I think Lakers fans are going to take like a few months off if, if they lose to Portland. Um, so you know, there's something that I've been noticing, and that's that there are there's different agendas within the mm-hmm. Lakers fan base, and, and you can see it. What I've noticed is that, like I put out something. I don't know if you saw this earlier today. But I put this out there on uh, on Twitter, X, you know, as it is now.
2: Still very weird to call it that.
1: It, it is, but nevertheless. Uh, all right. Against the Nets, the Lakers called a timeout with 8.09 left in the third. I did. After the Nets way. turned the Lakers' six-point halftime lead into a two-point deficit for LA. So an eight-point swing in the first less than four minutes of the third quarter. Lakers called timeout. The next Lakers timeout did not occur until the Lakers were down 19 and six minutes and 51 seconds were left in the fourth quarter. So you went from 809 to 651 during that stretch. The Lakers never regained the lead and never made a significant run to cut into that lead. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the Lakers were right there or the Lakers and Nets were going back and forth and one team took the lead and then the other team did or something like that or the Lakers were knocking on the door and they cut it to two or something. That never happened during that whole stretch and they never called a timeout. Um, they also didn't get their doors blown off or anything like that. It was like the Nets just slowly chipped away and and continued to build a lead. But a lot of Lakers fans took that information and I mean the... I knew this, this would happen. A lot of people were very upset with Darvin Ham, as expected. But what I also found is that there were a handful of people who were defending Darvin Ham. Hmm. But what's curious is if there was a Venn diagram between Darvin Ham defenders and LeBron haters, it's a circle. That's what's happening right now. Those out there that are within the Lakers social media sphere that are largely incredibly defensive of Darvin Ham. It's not because they're actually defending Darvin Ham. It's because they want the negative attention to go somewhere. They're trying to steer it. There, it's the the what about isms to steer it towards LeBron, sure, as as the guy, and sometimes a little bit Austin Reeves as well. I've seen that out there. I thought that was very curious, and I don't know if that's just a symptom of you know the the player first fans. Or what, but I was I was surprised to see that. I don't know if you've seen that at all, Sean.
2: I haven't uh interacted with it personally. Um I will say this, man. I think I think there's just a lot of opinions yeah. that are stated that are like kind kind of just like it So like so this is a big notion. I, I had to like fact check a bunch of people last night on it. So I did join a space, I lived up to my name. Like the first time in, I don't know how long I've, I've been on space, but like it was a conversation about like, oh my God, like the Lakers keep running freaking zone. And I'm like, bro, oh, the, the, the yeah. amount of like bickering and, and like complaining about the zone when the Lakers run zone 4% of the times, so, like think about this. If there's a hundred possessions, we're up in arms about four possessions on average, like to this, to this extent. Right. And also it's not like your man's been good. You've been getting torched. Your your zone defense as much as we complain about it and I think it's because like it's not as common in the NBA. Like there's only two teams in the NBA that run zone at a 10% frequency or higher. That's the Heat and the Jazz.
1: And people but, equate zones with open threes.
2: Yeah. But it's like your zone like statistically speaking has been better than your man for like the past month. Like it, it now, both suck. Like your zones give you like a point per possession. Your man on average be giving up like one point, like zero five or something around that, that mark. So the zone's technically been better, but they both are bad. But mm-hmm. we're up in arms about like half of like four possessions a game or whatever, or at the most, uh, like the OKC game, perfect example. Everybody's saying, "Oh my god, the zone freaking sucks." The zone won you the game against OKC. Like, you ran zone for 15 possessions, and everybody complains about the zone in that game off of the one possession OKC scored. Or up to that point, OKC was, like, 1 for 12 against the Lakers' zone. And then they got a buck in the fourth or whatever. So I just think there's a lot of opinions or statements that are thrown out there about, like, what the staff does and doesn't do or what, no. like, some of the, like, even some of the players does uh, do or do not do. That's just, like, not correct. And I think that's kind of frustrating, where it's like, oh, man, the uh, the Lakers are, uh, they, they have no plays. Eh, no, their plays are freaking awesome. They just don't run them consistently, right? Or it's, uh, oh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, literally they just fell asleep at the wheel the second half and said, yeah, let's not play call in the second half. But you look like the, the national media, who's going to get blamed? Anthony Davis is going to get blamed for not scoring 20 points in the second half, where it's. Uh eh, no, Darwin just stopped calling plays in the second half.
1: Well, and I guess what all this comes down to is when we talk about, you know, is it the zone? Is it the is it the coaches? Is it the players like like wait, no, don't if you say something negative about, about Darwin, no, 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 no. That that's on LeBron. You say something negative about LeBron. He's 39. That's Shouldn't so this other guy be pulled? it right? The truth is. And for some reason, a lot of us want to just put it all on one person. It's all Darwin's fault. It's all LeBron's fault. It's all Austin's fault. It's all whoever's fault. It's all the front office's fault, right? The truth is there's tons of blame to go around to everybody Mm -hmm. for, for what's been going on. There's plenty of blame to go around. It's not any one person's fault. Are there some people who have more blame than others? Sure. But it's not just one thing it's not there are a lot of things that are at play here that are creating the situation that the lakers are currently in so i find it interesting when we've got people that are trying to shift the conversation to oh no put the you know it all it's all this person's fault or it's all that person's fault. there's a, there's plenty of blame around to be shared i think that's the truth of the situation um when you're talking about the zone specifically i don't mind the zone i i in and fact I, I think go
2: to it sometimes
1: I think the zone, essentially, it's a curveball. That's what yeah. the zone is. That's what the zone is. It's a curveball. So, like, for example, opponent calls a timeout. Zone. Go to a zone. Why? Because the opponent's probably drawing something up to attack a man defense. that's' is
2: so good at that.
1: Right? That That's typically what happens. So throw them a curveball. They come out there and get, oh, yes, we've got this awesome play, and we're going to run it, and, oh, they're in a zone. Okay, sure. we've got to adapt, we've got to react, and we've got to do something different. For some teams, that will throw them off enough, even if it just causes them to waste a few seconds, that it can be a win in that situation. So, I don't mind. I don't think you should use a zone every single possession, but I think there are some key strategic moments where you can throw that curveball and uh, and the off speed stuff will will get them to swing and miss.
2: All right, dating back to the. Uh minnesota loss on uh december 21st since then the amount of games so the lakers half court man-to-man defense held a, an opposing team under one point per possession is the same amount of times that their zone defense held a team below one point per uh possession in the half court
1: which is three how, times how long of a time period are we talking about the minnesota game was december 21st so since then okay.
2: the lakers have court man-to-man defense has held a team below one point per possession three times. The okay. Lakers have court zoned since then, has held a team below one point per possession three times. So, like, uh, like obviously there's some variance, some shot variance and stuff to, to, to subset to it or whatever. Sure. Sample size, sure. Cause there's there's some games where the Lakers didn't run zone and you're gonna run man every game, obviously, right? But yeah. I, I Again, I just think it kind of gets blown out of proportion. Like, sure, it's not great. They're like 18th in defensive efficiency in zone uh, and they're 7th in usage or whatever, right? But like to the point to where we're complaining about it, I think it's kind of a lot.
1: We're going to pause for just a moment and to give a shout out to our sponsor, and that is Doer. Dewar jeans are absolutely fantastic. I love the pair that I've got. And here's the thing. I'm the type of guy that I prioritize comfort over style. My wife doesn't always love that, but that's what I do with Dewar though. I don't have to make the choice. I get both comfort and style. I have their performance denim, relaxed taper jeans. And what I love is that I'm just as comfortable lounging around the house with them as I am looking good going out to dinner wearing them. They are absolutely fantastic and super, super versatile. They're very stretchy, very soft, and it is a great fit for me. They make stretch performance denim and lifestyle apparel for both men and women. That's what Dewar does. Their timeless styles are unlike traditional denim because, again, they are high stretch, breathable, and they have moisture absorption. So, again, a very, very comfortable Gene. They value sustainability and they use 85% plant-based materials for natural softness and comfort. So you can upgrade your wardrobe and order your own pair of Dewar jeans today. Check out Dewar's flagship store in LA or Denver or shop online at shopdewar.com slash Lakers Nation. Right now, our listeners get 15% off site-wide when you use our URL shop duer.com slash Lakers nation. It's an awesome deal. So go check it out. Don't wait 15% off. Go to shop doer.com slash Lakers nation. Let's get into the mailbag. Let's get Yay. into the mailbag. We've got a lot of fans who are not happy with what happened with uh, the Nets game and rightfully so. And let's see what they have to say. Oh, Kevin throwing a, a hypothetical trade at us immediately said my ideal trade. The Clippers get Caruso, Drummond and DFS. The Bulls get the 2029 20, pick unprotected. Uh a Gabe and Max Lewis. So the Lakers are giving up the 2029 20, first unprotected for Caruso and Drummond. And then you're giving up and plus you're giving up Gabe, you're giving up Max Lewis, Jackson Hayes, JHS, Torian Prince and a pair of second round picks goes to the Nets in exchange for Dorian Finney-Smith in this three-team trade. Now, obviously, the Nets and Bulls have to exchange something in that trade, but regardless, the the bottom line, the Lakers trade, Hayes, JHS, Prince, two seconds, Gabe, Max Lewis, unprotected first, and you walk away with Caruso, Drummond, and Dorian Finney-Smith. Are, are you doing that?
2: That's a In terms of things going out, that's a lot. That's a lot. But in terms of value, that's not bad. Like, like you're basically telling me that Jackson Ace is, like, uh, he's a non-rotation player. Sure. Max Lewis, while he has upside, non-rotation player at the moment, G-Leaguer. Gabe's hurt. Torian Prince, rotation player. Okay, cool. JHS, long-term project that you may or may not want to keep around that I still think has some value. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But you're getting back the best guard defender in the NBA, a quality another quality backup big, and then a three and D wing. If, if, if I don't think the other teams say yes, but if this is on the table, then Rob Palenka get it done. I think
1: my, my hesitation here is this is everything.
2: Yeah, this is, this is everything <laughs> you've got,
1: right? This is everything you've got. So if you need to tweak something after this, it, it, it'll be much more difficult to do so.
2: Yeah, that's fair. Like, I'm probably asking, like, can I keep? Can I hold on to JHS?
1: Right. I mean, I, I don't. I is, mean, I don't see the the Nets doing it otherwise. But yes, I I, I agree. That's, that's um, a lot going out. This is this is kind of your all in move. So does this fix everything that ails the Lakers? I think. I mean, think about this. You could put. I mean, you still have D'Lo at this point. Yeah. You could put a lineup out there of either D'Lo or Reeves. Caruso, DFS, LeBron, AD.
2: I think i probably us go, good. I think it's probably just like d Caruso, Bron, DFS, AD. Then off the bench, you got Reeves, Max, Rui, Vando, Christian Wood, Slash, Andre Drummond. That's nice.
1: That could be good. But again, with this team coming into the season on paper, we went, this team is good. Yeah, that's true. doesn't always work out that way. Uh, Avon Traders said, James Worthy said, and he said this over on Spectrum, this loss wiped away everything the Lakers did in the last two wins. That is factual. Yep, yep. It is. Uh, Reeves has been horrible. Need to trade him. Has Reeves been horrible? Like I, I Reeves was do. not good against the Nets. But in general, has he been, been horrible, do you think?
2: I think there's a lot of, again, it's another thing we want to talk about, like, false narratives. I think Austin's a big player for that, right? Now, Austin has been – he, has he kind of underperformed a little the bit? The
1: expectations for, were high, for the sure. Expect,
2: but they were sky high because of the playoffs, and then he just killed FIBA. But, like, a, a big thing you're hearing about Austin right now is, oh, man, just, like, dude, there's just so much tape on Austin now to where, like, teams are figuring them out. No, they have it. And what I mean by that is the same amount of, like, tape in air quotes that's out right now is the same amount of tape NBA teams have had in the playoffs. He faced Steve Kerr six times. Back to back to back. He faced Michael Malone four times. He cooked against both of those teams. Mm-hmm. So I think the – now, maybe defensively you have an argument. But I think that's why you can't play D'Lo and Austin together is because one of those dudes have to guard or like start them together, excuse me. One of those dudes have to guard the worst offensive player on the floor. So like, you, you got to hide one of them. Yeah. And it's normally going to be D'Lo. So now Austin's getting a way tougher defensive assignment than he really should have. He battles his ass off, but it's unfair defensively for Austin.
1: The biggest difference with Austin this season is his three-point percentage. He shot 40... 40- Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, he shot 40% from deep last season. This season, he's at 34%. And he's taking one more attempt per game. So that's pulled his field goal percentage down a little bit. He's also getting to the free throw line. Not as much less as you would think, but he's taking about a half a free throw less per game. Still shooting a great percentage there. He's giving you almost two more assists per game. Now he's in a little bit of a different role. One more rebound per game than last season. And he's scoring two points more per game the last season. He's also averaging half a turnover more. So, I mean, that's just the basic counting stats. That's not going into the advanced stuff. But, like, Austin is still performing well. It Just the three-point shot has not been the same as last season.
2: And the other, only other thing I was going to add to that was it's really like in spot-up situations, which just kind of nukes his off-ball gravity, which he legitimately had last season. Mm-hmm. Like this year, he's been an elite pick-and-roll three-point shooter. He's shooting 41.8% uh, from three out of pick-and-rolls where he shot. He shot 48% last year, but on way less volume. Uh, that's regular season and playoffs, too. But um, this year for Austin, like I said, 41 round up 42% out of ball screens on great volume but he's shooting 31% in spot up situations from three where last year he shot 40% in spot up situations from three. So, I mean, just got to find the, the off ball game from three, mm-hmm. get that back. Um, he's still an elite finisher at the rim, 70.9% finisher at the rim this year. The, the floaters money. He's a, he's shooting 53 and percent on pull up mid range jumpers, which is insane. So like, if he just has to rediscover like the catch and shoot stuff from three, get that back going. And I think Austin will start being a. Uh, I mean, especially getting a play with Delo and Braun in the starting five together, he's gonna naturally be off the ball a little bit more. So just got to be able to hit some of these catch and shoot threes a little bit at a, a higher clip.
1: He is getting burned uh, quite a bit defensively. There's a big drop off in his numbers there in terms of on off. Although that can also depend with on the team around him and the, te- the whole team's been struggling defensively. So that's yeah. part of it too um but right now uh per in terms of cleaning the glass has a uh points per shot attempt mm-hmm. stat he ranks in the 91st percentile relative to other guards in the NBA in points per shot attempt and that's with his three-point percentage being down
2: or looking at uh have the points per shots I'm stat at yeah uh,
1: it's at her PSA So that's really good. That's really good. He just needs to get that that field goal percentage uh, or that three-point percentage up a little bit closer to last year's numbers. So people are saying Reeves is, is horrible. He's not horrible. Does he get picked on defensively? Yes, that's that's partially a thing. But he's he's been fine. He just he hasn't taken that leap, I think, to the next level. Yeah. Um, Dred said AD was fuming on the bench, uh, as he should. As he should have been. He said, move AD or Braun. Well, Anthony Davis can't be traded until February 6th. The trade deadline is February 8th, so he technically could still be traded. But uh, LeBron, look, both of these guys, they would have to go to the Lakers and say, please trade me in order for the Lakers to trade them. I don't think the Lakers are interested in trading either one.
2: The Lakers would be the most unserious team ever if they'd said, all right, guys, we're going to trade you.
1: Uh, this comment, Ham is an inspiration to unemployed people everywhere. Jeez. (laughs) Oh, no. That hurts. Tyler said, sounds like LeBron might leave in the offseason. With how the season is going, I'm wondering how that affects trades, if any.
2: Who said LeBron was leaving?
1: Well, I mean, he's got the player option this summer. He could go join whatever team Bronny gets drafted to. That's certainly a possibility. He also has a $50 million contract for next year that he could pick up. Um. How that might affect trades, like if LeBron told the Lakers right now, hey, I'm leaving, then yeah, you probably don't go all in on trades to help LeBron win right now, right? But I think you kind of need to do that anyway. That's why I don't think you give up significant future assets for an aging player. I think if you're going to give up significant future assets, it needs to be for like a DeJounte Murray type player. Not that DeJounte Murray is the only guy that you should be focused on or anything, but A player, a young player on a long term deal that is probably going to retain future value. So if you need flexibility in the future, you still have it. You could still you could turn DeJounte Murray back into draft capital a few years from now, most likely. Whereas if you spend your future draft capital on like Boyan Bogdanovich, it's done. You're you're getting the last of his NBA value. Dude's 34 years old. So that's gonna be it for him. Um that I think is the key for the Lakers. It's if you're going to surrender that future capital to try to help this team win right now and, uh, and therefore help LeBron win right now at 39 years old, that's fine. But you also have to protect yourself by at least making a smart investment and getting guys that most likely, if you're in a pinch and you need future flexibility, they're going to retain some value out of the market.
2: Yeah. That's
1: a great point. All right. Uh, Maddie James did the Nets pay the refs at halftime to call every ticky-tack foul against the Lakers? Also, the Lakers' defense was unbelievable to watch. Shaking my head, you know, I didn't. I thought unbelievable there were some
2: like a compliment,
1: right? <laughs> uh, there were some. There were some tough calls for sure, but that's not why the Lakers lost the game. There were frustrating moments with the officials, but that's not why they lost. Yeah. Uh, I, Avant Trader said when the Lakers are up because of hot shooting, it never ends well. When they're up because of defense, they win games. Yeah. Maybe I I wish there was a a way I could pull this stat, but it sure feels like when they start a game hot offensively, they kind of they get into this gunner mentality and feel like they don't have to dig in as much defensively because if they get scored on, oh well, we're going to get it back on the other end. And they tend to that that offense slows down at some point.
2: And it's so frustrating too because they're hitting shots because they're running actual offense. Again, I just never understood the hey, look, we're we're just gonna let we're gonna let you go play one on one the whole game or run freelance. I just never and, and let everybody just sit there and watch you. I've never understood that.
1: Yeah, yep, and that's what we saw against the Nets, especially in the second half. Uh M Dread back to back buzzer beaters for DeJounte Murray. Yeah, um. Certainly doesn't hurt his trade value. And then the Lakers dropping a game against the Nets makes them seem a little bit more desperate. That's not ideal for trade negotiations. Uh Jared said, if I'm LeBron, no way in hell I play another season for the Lakers. For the he called them the Los Angeles Losers. So is Jared a LeBron fan then and not a Lakers fan?
2: Uh that that's that's the that's what I'm getting from that super chat. <laughs>
1: I think if LeBron feels like he has a chance to win in LA, he's going to want to stay in LA. Now, maybe that means the Lakers draft Bronny. Maybe that, I don't know. I don't know what that's all going to look like this summer, but I don't think LeBron, aside from what happens with Bronny, unless the Lakers said, Hey, we're going into a rebuild. Then sure. He'll leave. Otherwise I I don't see him leaving.
2: I don't see the Lakers saying that.
1: No, I, I don't see that either. Um, Nelson said, this team is dumb and absurd. Time to make some trades. Yeah. Um, the deadline's February 8th. It's coming up. It feels like it can't come soon enough. But I, I still think they're going to get something done. If D'Angelo Russell doesn't have a lot of value out there, maybe that that makes things a little bit tricky. But they have plenty of motivation to do something. That's for sure. Uh, Aj, we'll do a few more here. Said the Lakers need a dog, a prideful bucket getter with heart. These kinds of collapses just can't happen. I don't
2: think adding a a in air quotes a prideful bucket getter with heart end quote um, would have won the Lakers that game. I think the Lakers need a end quote guy that can play some damn defense and hit some open threes end quote. I think that player would have helped. you won that game.
1: Yes. Yep. Now I I think they there is like if the Lakers had Malik Monk on this team, oh my god, that that would help. That would certainly help for the offensive that drafts that they've got. That hurts right? so
2: much. He so wanted I to come did. back too.
1: He did, he did. But the the money just the Lakers couldn't offer him as much as the Kings could. Uh, feeling dejected, this comment says, "I think this month's homestand already lost, or is already a lost opportunity." Master Lock Cam Thomas shooting over AD. Basketball gods must have blessed him today. I think drop coverage blessed Cam Thomas. But and, but credit to him. He had some really tough shots as well. But yeah, I mean, it's not... They've dropped some games here. I mean, we said it. January gets easier because they're not on the road like they were pretty much all of December or back and forth anyway, most of December. But it's not like the opponents got that much easier. The Nets, this was the easy opponent. This was the gimme game on the yeah. schedule. Yeah. This comment says, I blame slash Masterlock Olivia Rodrigo courtside, LOL. So if the loss is on her, then just ban her from the building. She's not yeah. allowed to go to any more games. Nope. I don't think it's on her. Maybe maybe Austin Reeves just needed to try to save a basketball and kind of run into her there. <laughs> Did you do you remember that from a couple seasons ago?
2: Uh yeah, I think
1: the girls that were sitting courtside, and Austin goes to save a basketball
2: and, and he kind of nuts after,
1: right? And then he goes berserk afterwards. <laughs> maybe that maybe that's the problem. That's the actual fix to it.
2: That's what it is.
1: <laughs> Michael said, I know the Lakers are attached, but I trade Austin Reeves for DeJounte Murray. He gets uh blown by on fast guards. DeJounte Murray is an upgrade to be honest better defender better score
2: I'll take this one I, I got you yep. Trevor get, get 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 something to drink while you can uh, yep see already grabbed it stop lying okay really quick one I think DeJounte would come in and be a, a much improved defender than he what he's been for the past two years but the preconceived notion that DeJounte Murray is going to come in here and revert just all of a sudden revert back to this all NBA defender when he's currently being been like a bottom five guard defender in the NBA makes no freaking sense. That's one. And two, I got in a, a, a not a debate, but more like like a a conversation rather. i would say that. Um, with somebody saying, Sean, you're crazy for not wanting to trade Austin for DeJounte. It's not even because like Austin's a better player, it's because why do I trade Austin? For DeJounte, when one, I don't have to, and is out there that literally the deal that can very easily get done involves Delo and not Austin, and then secondly, every team in the NBA wants Austin Reeves for a reason. Why am I trading that dude now when, A, like I said, you don't have to, B, down the line when Austin does revert back to being a better three-point shooter, especially off the ball, His value is higher. You're selling him at his, or you're you're selling his stock rather at its lowest that it's probably been since he's since his rookie year, like at the beginning of his rookie year. Honestly, like it, it, I'm not trading Austin for Dejounte. He's not the better player, but it just makes no sense for what you're just trading him just so you can say, hey, look, we got Dejounte Murray. Okay, cool. You traded your most valuable asset.
1: I think I, you can make the argument that, that DeJounte is a little better than than Austin. I don't think that it's like the the word of the Lakers camp is that they just don't see it as a needle mover. Well, I get DeJounte that. Better. Like better. How, Right, right, right. But like how big of an upgrade is it really? And that's the part of the problem. But I also say this. I've got, and I, and I think you're spot on with everything you're saying there, Sean. I've got a lot of like when D'Lo went for 29, when D'Lo went for 39, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people going, see, trade Austin. Don't trade D'Lo. Austin's terrible trade dealer, right? There's, by the way, we talk about people who are like the player first fans, or whatever or have oh. like an agenda for or against certain players. Talked about that with LeBron. There's also like an anti Austin group out there. There's obviously a pro Austin group too. There's a pro Delo group and an anti delo group. So you see those things pop up sometimes the too. Pro Delo group is very loud. They are. And I look, and I have nothing against D'Angelo Russell. I like, love D'Lo. I I would love it. If, I would love it if D'Lo had success with the Lakers and stayed for the remainder of his career. That'd be fantastic, right? If he's if he's successful, but the issue is not what's on the court. The reason why D'Angelo Russell is the guy that most likely, if the Lakers are going to make a big trade, is going to get moved. It's not because D'Angelo. It's not because the Lakers don't like what D'Angelo Russell is doing. Basketball wise, it's not on the court. It's the contract. That's the issue. The second he said we we talked about go back to to when we were in the studio during summer league. Back in July at the win in Las Vegas, we had this conversation and we talked about how D'Angelo Russell was going to be in every trade rumor because they specifically negotiated out his no trade clause. And he now has a player option, which means you're risking losing him for nothing if he walks away. That's why Delo is the guy that will get moved. It's not a commentary on, on Delo versus Austin. There doesn't even need to be that battle or anything like that. The contract is why you have to put him into trade room. You have to consider moving him because you don't have that kind of control this summer. And if you lose him, you're not replacing him. So that's why if you're the Lakers, you have to Consider moving him in the in these deals. Yeah. It's it's simple. It's just a contract. Just mm-hmm. a contract. It's not a commentary on what he is as a player or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, Torian Prince should be playing more minutes than Bando.
2: I think they should be playing around the same. Like if, if both yeah. of them are like around 20-ish minutes, okay.
1: I think it's unfortunate that Torian Prince has caught a lot of flack for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, for not being as good defensively. But part of that is he's being asked to do more. So yeah. Torian Prince is getting is getting flack for being asked to do probably more than he should be being asked to not do. Not his fault. Uh, in, in more minutes as well. And then number two, he's seen as an extension of Darvin Ham because of that. <laughs> Everybody assumes he's Darvin Ham's favorite. And therefore, when Darvin does something wrong, when Darvin plays Torian Prince too many minutes, whatever it is, he catches some strays that are kind of meant for, for Darwin ham. Yeah. Um, All of that is unfortunate because Torian Prince has not had a bad season for the Lakers. Should he be asked to be a primary point of attack defender? No, that's not what he is. Should he be playing more like 20 minutes a night, 22 minutes a night, something like that? Yes, he should. And if he was doing that and shooting the percentage that he is, I would hope that people would be really happy with him because he's had uh, aside from that slump in November, He's been really good for the Lakers based on what you're paying him, what the expectation was coming into the season. It's not his fault that he's being asked to do way more. It's like it's like I had somebody who, who mentioned one of our comments recently said, but he's making millions of dollars to play a game. Shouldn't he step up and fill whatever role the team needs him to fill? Sure, but if you asked Austin Reeves to be your rim protector, Are you going to be mad at him when he's not blocking a bunch of shots at the basket? Somebody said that. (laughs) Oh, what? Somebody. Yeah, there was a comment about like, like, shouldn't Torian Prince step up his game to fill the role that the Lakers need him in? Shouldn't it? Why? Why take the responsibility off of him by saying that he's being asked to do things that he's not capable of doing? It's not. You're not utilizing him properly. That's the issue. That's the issue, and unfortunately, that's turning into a negative perception of Torian Prince.
2: Like as the if you as the guy in charge, when you have like people that work for you, and I'm trying to word this as like you know politically correct as I can, it's your job as like the the, the dude in charge to put the people that work with you in positions to succeed, right? Like, sure. like. Trevor would have put me in a position where I'm not going to be successful in, right? Like it'd be it, like like uh, all right, give you guys an example. If Trevor said, "Hey Sean, you know we we we're starting this uh, Oakland Athletics uh, podcast, uh, and we, we want you to, to be the front runner for it," that is putting me in, a, in right. not a good position to be successful. <laughs> One because I'm not an Oakland Athletics fan, and two because my knowledge about baseball compared to basketball, football are, is completely. Uh, way worse than basketball football. So, like, he's doing me a disservice, but if I do it, okay, he's the boss or whatever, and I go do the podcast and Oakland Athletic fans find the channel, they're like, oh, my God, this Sean dude stinks. Yeah, because he put me in a spot where I'm not going to be successful in. Right? So, I think, like, like, Trevor, you hit the nail on the head there. I, I think that um it, it's a lot of the, the, the strays that we throw at Torian are really meant for Darvin.
1: Yeah. Um, but to the, and that, that's a great, that'd be funny. And, and uh, Sean running a baseball, <laughs> show. I'm going to put you on, uh, on Dodger blue now, just to see, just to see how that goes. Jeff's um,
2: gonna uh, send you a text after we get says, yeah, please get Sean the hell off my show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Torian shouldn't be playing more minutes than Vando though. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I, I think ultimately Torian's minutes should be, should come down. Vando's minutes should go up. They meet in the middle. There you go. Uh, last one, Tom, Tom said, um, sub too late in the third. Jared Vanderbilt and Max Christie sub too late in the third. LeBron argues too much. Um, Yeah, I, I did think that the Darvin waited too long to make changes to what was going on. Obviously, you didn't call timeouts. That's part of it, but um, when the Nets really started getting going from three, I wanted to see the Lakers shift their defensive schemes a little bit more. I did see them making a little bit more effort to close out on shooters, but I think in general their scheme needs to be adjusted to deal with the three-point shot because now it's a consistent thing teams are now gunning for threes against the lakers there needs to be changes made there uh, perhaps a shift should have been max christie and, and vanderbilt in earlier i think that's fair and then on lebron arguing too much yeah there were a bunch of plays where you know lebron was upset he stayed behind the play to argue or, or whatever didn't get back and then it puts your team in a five on four that's always frustrating to see because you give up points as a result and that's on one hand you can say well lebron's 39 and he's kind of earned the right to to do that every now and then but um it's it's not a great look when your teammates are being stuck trying to scramble on defense because you wanted to stop and, and argue with the refs
2: i have this fate i have this look on my face right now because I, I i had an opinion i just wanted to go double check it but i we we talked about this a little bit on playback okay the three-man grouping, Max, Vando, AD,
1: mm-hmm. I always
2: thought was like, okay, this group is really, really good because you got your guard POA and Max is a good screen navigator. AD is sure. the eater of worlds at the rim. Vando is kind of your ISO stopper or just wing scoring guy. Just, that three-man yeah. grouping is in 188 possessions together, a plus 21.2 in point differential, they're giving up 109.1 points per 100 possessions, and the top three lineups in uh, in terms of usage uh, for possessions are plus 15.2, plus 16.9, and a plus 39.
1: Wait, wait, wait! Did you say that again? How many how many points per 100 possessions are they giving up?
2: Uh, 109.
1: That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And that's I, not like dominant, otherworldly, or anything like that. That's that's that's, that's, that's pretty good. But and then
2: offensively they're scoring one thirty, but it's because I think again you're you're starting to figure out more ways to utilize Vando offensively. I think he's been a much better finisher recently, like the past week or so. Um, I think there's been a noticeable improvement there. But when you look at all these laps, especially the ones that have been successful in particular, Austin, Max, would Vando, AD makes sense, especially defensively uh the one that's like really really good you're scoring 124 give up 84 in 25 possessions so very limited sample size but Delo, max rury vando 80 makes a ton of sense um i i think like that's your three-man grouping right now to get a stop like like, oh yeah those three i mean you throw braun in there as a helper and then like Delo or Austin and like and they'll check like the other, I mean like the worst offensive player, I suppose. And you need them on the floor so they can, you can score the ball too offensively. Right. But um, yeah, I I think Vand- Vando and Max, Max has to play when we get healthy. And I, I think Vando coming back and really looking healthy now is a, is a really positive thing for this team.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely a positive Um, man. I I think there are tweaks this team could make that would make them better. Some lineups they could utilize a bit more. That would go a long way. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's wrap things up there. Obviously, big game tonight. The Lakers have to get a win. I want to see the Lakers come out and just blow out the Blazers. I want to see a frustrated, angry Lakers team come out against the Blazers tonight. That's what I'm hoping to see. Again, you can join us over on Playback during the game, playback.tv slash Lakers Nation. Come join us over on the YouTube channel as well, YouTube.com slash Lakers Nation. If you want to just hang out with us and listen to our play-by-play. If you want to hang out with us and be able to see the game too, that's over at playback.tv slash Lakers Nation. So come hang out with us during the game tonight, Lakers versus Blazers. Again, thank you everybody for joining the show. Special weekend episode of the podcast. Till next time. See ya and stay safe.